Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, bonus material, The Dad Files. In looking for material to read, I found an old folder that contains every article that I ever wrote about being a dad. From the very first time we knew we were having a baby, all the way through the adult life of my daughter and now her own children. Oh, I always get letters from people who say, hey, when you preach, you talk about your children too much. Well, being a dad is one of the most awesome responsibilities and one of the greatest adventures I've ever had. I hope you'll enjoy The Dad Files. Where can you find helping, healing, and humor all in one place? We'll hang out with Ben and Travis on the Ben and Travis podcast. Ben and Travis on their podcast strive to normalize the discussion about mental health among Christians and help people with their struggles and broaden their horizons. Their special guests are always educational and entertaining. I love these two gentlemen, and you will too. Hang out with Ben and Travis on the Helping Healing Humor podcast, benandtravis.com. You'll also notice they have a bat logo. For those of you who don't pick up on that, Ben starts with a B, Travis starts with a T, and starts with an A, Ben and Travis, the bat symbol. Ben and Travis podcast, Helping Healing Humor, is a sponsor of the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure and the Dad Files. They were rough, sloppy, penciled letters. They were crowded together because they were written so fast. And the spelling was inventive. That is to say, a lot of it was phonetically correct, but grammatically wrong. It read... My dad is teaching this lesson. Teaching, T-E-C-H-E-N. Lesson was spelled L-E-S-N. My dad is teaching this lesson. He is teaching about Jesus. The disciples, D-S-A-P-L-E-S, the disciples asked Jesus, do we have to pay the tax? T-A-E-X. And Jesus said, yes. You have to pay the tax. If he had said no, he would have been saying evil, E-V-L-E. And evil is not good. I sort of lose her after that. I was speaking about the time when they questioned Jesus about paying taxes. She picked up on the part that if Jesus had said it was unlawful to pay taxes, it would have been seen as insurrection by the Romans. She didn't understand the word disingenuous. She didn't understand the concept of duplicitous. I wasn't teaching the little ones. This was a sermon for the adults. And I'm pretty shocked that she was taking notes. And yet I'm a fool to just now realize it. She'd been taking notes on me. She'd been taking notes for a long time. She is taking notes on what I teach. She is taking notes on how I live. I can only guess if she is writing down the things that I think are important. For some reason, we live with the unrealistic idea that people see things the same as we do. She takes notes but filters them out through her own experiences. I wonder, am I, in her eyes, making sense? 
Does she see me as consistent? Does she see me as someone who practices the things that I say? When I read that little page my wife handed me, I was filled with a mixture of joy and terror. She's taking notes on me. That scared me beyond words. Now, this is not a newsflash. Our kids have been taking notes on us for a long time. What have we given them to write down? If they write what we say, and they write down what we do, and they later compare the two lists, what will they find? When you speak to your spouse, someone is writing on a heart. My dad spoke to my mom this way. My dad is teaching this lesson. When you disciplined or you scold, someone is writing on a heart. My dad is, is, is teaching this lesson. When you are angry and you want to say wrongful things about someone, someone else is writing on a little heart. My dad is teaching me this lesson. When you go to bed at night and there are prayers, someone is writing on a little sleepy heart. My dad is teaching me this lesson. When you wake up in the morning and the Bible is read and the day begins with a prayer, someone is writing on a stretching, snuggly little heart. My dad is teaching me this lesson. It looked like another cold, wet Saturday. Perfect for catching trout at Madison County Public Fishing Lake. She had the option of going to shop in Boaz, a four-letter word, shop, or to stay home and go with me. Being a true Jones and yet not having fully been corrupted by the female genes, she chose to go fishing. Now, don't get me wrong, she likes nail polish. She has pictures of the Hanson brothers in her room. She spent all her Christmas money at the Limited. But she still knows the best deal when she sees it. We had been at the lake for a little while, and she had already eaten her snacks. Jim Goins had caught a nice fish. Now, that is to say it was fine shape, fine size, and fine color. That way, no one gets to ask if he was so nice, then why did you have to kill it? But I digress. She's getting impatient. Dad, when is my fish going to bite? She was sitting there in her knee-high rubber boots with her Indian's ball cap, and she was looking out over the water. I was watching her line. It twitched just a little and then became still. Pick up your rod and put your hand on the handle. She did. Do, do I roll it up? No, just hold it very still. I think you're about to get a bite. And suddenly it happened. The line shot out, her pole bent, the drag started squealing, and so did she. She wanted me to take the pole, but it's not the same when you land your first trout. So I told her, you landed and landed, she did. She really had to struggle. She touched it. She held it. She even wanted to watch when I filleted it. She said, Dad, call me when you get to my fish. Before we left, 
We were sitting by the lake watching our poles. She looked out from under that little ball cap and smiled. How did you know that fish was going to bite? I'm a Jedi, flashed through my mind, but this wasn't the time. I really didn't know the fish would bite, but several things told me that it might. I just warned you, and you listened. And because you listened, it worked out. Boy, I wish the rest of parenting would be this easy. I wonder if she will think that I know as much about boys as I do about fish. She'll be 16 in 2006, and you should remember that I can fillet a fish, and I can also fillet a boy, but I digress. I wonder if she will think I know as much about life, as much about money, as much about dating, as much about friends, as much about... See, it's pretty easy to impress an eight-year-old with your knowledge of fishing when the fish are biting. I need to take her again and let her see that fishing is called fishing and not catching for a reason. She doesn't need my wisdom when fishing is good. She will need it much more when fishing is not good. She'll need to understand about patience and about perseverance. But if I don't take her fishing now, she won't talk to me when fishing is bad. In 1998, I opened up my private practice. I moved to a little small office on South Memorial Parkway, and across the hall from my office was a absolutely charming Southern gentleman named Mr. Walt Barty. He and his sister Ann ran Walt Barty Coins and Bullion. This little shop was eventually taken over by their grandson, Jared Bentley. Jared is one of the most pleasant people you'll ever do business with. If you're interested in investing in gold or silver, call Walt Barty Coins and Bullion, 256-883-9004, 256-883-9004, or use the 800 number, 1-800-608-608. 6052. That's 1-800-608-6052. An alarm clock can ring and be put into the snooze mode several times and not do any real damage to your interlude with the subconscious. But let that little voice on the other end of the house shout, Daddy! And I'm usually moving before my eyes are open. Somewhere around two years old, I'd get called out of bed quite a bit. There seemed to have been this problem with tigers. Yes, a tiger infestation in the bedroom of a two-year-old. Now, you and I know, and I know that we don't have tigers in our house. At this age, she liked the movie The Jungle Book. This is the animated series. Uh, And the antagonist in this story is a huge tiger. And, and for whatever reason, a huge tiger with a, a deep voice and a British accent is absolutely terrifying. And it made an impression on her. And she was afraid of them, although she had never actually seen one in her real life. After she would call out, I'd wander into her room and begin reasoning with her. <laughs> Think about that. Reasoning with a two-year-old. Honey, Daddy can't see the tiger. 
Well, of course you can't see it, you idiot. It's invisible. I would inspect the window. No signs of force entry. No signs of scratch marks either. I'd look through the closet and under the furniture. And you know and I know that there were no tigers in the room. Yet all my logic and all my reasoning and all my facts, or even lack thereof, could not convince her that it would be all right to stay in her room the rest of the night. My solution? <laughs> well, my solution was uh, to go into the kitchen and look under the sink and get out an aerosol can, bright yellow, bright yellow, and the letters on it would spell P-L-E-D-G-E, -E, and if you're two years old, that spells Tiger Spray. Uh, by the way, it works on monsters and smells like lemons. Okay, if I'd come in and hose down the windowsill, the bottom of the closet door, and any suspect areas of being a tiger lurking position, it would work. It would work so well that for a while we had several sprays in our house. Tiger spray, monster spray, bad dream spray. We had all kinds of spray for one reason or another, and they'd been used in our house. So what's the point? Well, now you never enter a person's delusion, okay? We're not talking about true delusional thinking. But sometimes in dealing with people, sometimes we have to operate from their point of view even when we know that their point of view might be unrealistic. You see, it, it doesn't matter what I know factually, logically, or intellectually. Sometimes the only course of action I have is to take care of the tiger. We often have conflicts with people over perceived difficulties. The church wasn't friendly enough. My child didn't fit in. We didn't get enough support during our crisis. It, if we have taken care to try to solve even the imagined problems, then we have done all that we can do to make peace. Now, Jesus would really be wanting us to be people of peace. The Apostle Paul says, as much as possible, as much as it depends on you. I recognize that in some cases it's not possible, and in some cases it doesn't depend on us. But Jesus taught that if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, and recognize you leave your gift at the altar and you go make peace with your brother. He doesn't say that your brother has something against you and it's legit. He doesn't say that your brother has something against you and he's got a clue. I think he could have been talking about dealing with a tiger. It doesn't say if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that you sinned against your brother. It says if you remember that your brother has something against you. What he has against you may be real, or it may be an invisible tiger. Jesus said, leave your gift and be reconciled. This is a second mile sort of maneuver. Now, at some point, Lonnie Beth could read. And she said, Dad, P-L-E-D-G-E -E does not spell tiger spray. I said, well, it only works on tigers that aren't real. Now, I guess at some point people are expected to mature. But in order to help them mature, you probably have to spray a few tigers. We can't spray all their tigers. And we can't spray tigers for them all their lives. But I certainly could spray a few more tigers than I do. It's about being patient with immature people, 
not necessarily about the validity of the existence of their tigers. Dad, when can I be baptized? She asked about it the very first time while we were in a motel in St. Mary's, Georgia. And we talked about faith and repentance and sin. She wasn't really aware of any sin that she had committed, and so we decided that baptism wasn't what needed to be done at that time. Now, you've got to remember she lives in a culture where people talk about baptism every Sunday. She hears about baptism every Sunday night. She hears about baptism every Wednesday, and she witnesses baptisms at summer camp and at fall retreat, and she hears people call me out at the middle of the night to come over and baptize people. The subject has come up several times, and sometimes just after a baptism at church, and sometimes just out of the blue. We usually talk a long time. And of course, having grown up with a minister, she can answer some of the questions, and some she can't. I know a lot of her answers are simple repetitions of what she's heard us say. My general rule is that I don't refuse to baptize anyone who demonstrates an elementary knowledge of what baptism does and why they need it. The problem I'm having with her is that I don't know how much she really knows and how much she's just really repeating. I think she knows what she is supposed to say, but I'm not sure she knows why she gives the answers. Why do you want to be baptized? Because I love Jesus. I want to be a member of His church. I want to go to heaven. I believe those are all appropriate answers from a pure heart that does love Jesus. Last night, however, was different. We were driving home. It was late. Dad, I want to be baptized. Why do you want to be baptized, I asked carefully. To wash my sins away. Oh, okay. And what sins do you need washed away? Well, I've disobeyed you and I've disobeyed Mom. I pulled into a parking lot. She unbuckled her seat and crawled into the front to Jackie's lap and we talked a long time. I can't say 100% or with 100% confidence that she's not ready. She understands there's some things in her life that she wishes she had not done. This is not a case where she was immediately in trouble. This is something she's reflected on about not telling the truth and having disobeyed me or having disobeyed mom. I know she doesn't understand all there is about it, but she does want to do something about it. I cannot deny that she believes. I cannot deny that she wants to please God. I cannot deny that the she thinks that she has sin in her life and it needs to be dealt with. So last night about 10 o'clock, we drove back to the church building and she stood in the water and admitted or confessed that she believed with all her heart that Jesus was the Son of God in front of me and her mother. And then I immersed her little body into the water to give her life to God. Now, what does she really know? What did she really know? I I put it this way. When I was 21 years old and told Jackie Wallace that I loved her with all my heart, I meant it and it was with all my heart. 36 years later, what I understand about what that was supposed to mean is a vastly different construct. Just because I've matured in my relationship with Jackie doesn't mean the original thing was invalid. 
just because she loved God with all her heart at the time and it wasn't going to be what her heart had the capacity for later doesn't mean she was too young and shouldn't have done it. When people want to give their lives at that moment to God and understand enough to do it, I think as a dad, I should encourage it. She sat on the slide. She propped her head in her hands. I leaned against the climbing wall in our backyard. We were facing a big decision. I told her to pray about it. Tell God what you want, but ask God for His will so that the best thing for us will be done. What if God doesn't answer my prayer? God always answers prayers. Now, now sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is not now. Sometimes He answers in a way we don't expect. And then I began to tell her stories. I, I assumed she knew them because they're part of my life, and she is so much a part of my life. Well, I, I just assumed she knew about them. The stories began with this line, I, I've never made a major decision that I haven't prayed about first. Oftentimes I'll tell the Lord what my intention is and here are the obstacles in my way. If those obstacles remain, I don't do it. If those obstacles disappear, then I feel like that's an open door opportunity. I told her about the decision to go to Harding. I told her about the decision not to get married and I told her about the decision to get married. I told her about the decision to move to Huntsville, about the other job offers that we have had since then and our prayers that we prayed and the times that we have chosen to stay. She was shocked when she heard about my interest in federal law enforcement and how that decision came simply down to we'd prayed about a specific date and a specific deadline and when it didn't happen, we didn't pursue it. Somehow she had the impression that Jackie was the only girl that I ever knew or ever dated when I was single. When she learned that I had had a previous engagement before I married Jackie, she said, Does mom know? <laughs> we talked about how important the decision of who you marry really is and how it should always involve prayer. We talked about how hard it is to know sometimes what the right thing to do, what the right choice is to make. We talked about how important prayer is when it comes to decision-making. 1 John 5.14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of Him. The, the NLT translates it. And we are confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our request, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. Maybe not the thing we ask for, but the answer that we ask for. I'm really not sure what she'll choose. I am convinced that if she incorporates a search for God's will, her choice will lead to, if not happiness, at least satisfaction and for sure spiritual safety. If she doesn't look for God's will, then her choice will lead to frustration, spiritual danger, and dissatisfaction. If you're not happy with the choices you make, maybe you should check with who you're trying to please.
20 years ago, I was invited to be a guest at a special conference called Challenge Youth Conference. It's better known to most people as CYC. I've been a guest speaker there for the last 20 years and been privileged to work with their board. Uh, it's an annual event. It takes place uh, in Dallas uh, on Martin Luther King weekend, and it takes place in Pigeon Forge at the LeConte Center on the last weekend in February. This year, 2022, it will be January 14 through 16 at the Dallas Marriott in Las Colinas, Texas. It will happen February 25 through 27 at Pigeon Forge in the LeConte Center. The theme for 2022 is for me. From the beginning, God had a plan for you and for me. The different topics will be creation for me, redemption for me, and heaven for me. Some of your favorite teachers, along with Ben and Travis, and the Skits with a Truth guys, the SWAT team, will guide you through this spiritually equipping weekend. CYC is a sponsor of Keeping Up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. You may find out more information, three W's and a dot, cyconline.com, www.cyconline.com.